Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Book now available. In this exciting, one-of-a-kind book, Phil Naylor revisits the very best interviews from three years of education podcasting. Miller's Netter, just talking to teachers. Talking to teachers about educational books, why we love them, and how we use them in our classrooms. With guest authors, publishers, podcasters, and of course, teachers. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everybody. Welcome to the latest Nailers Natter. So those of you regular listeners will be aware of my uh, recent health kick brought on by um, eating too much and high blood pressure. And on those morning runs, I've been trying to get across quite a few podcasts. And one that I've discovered recently uh, is today's guest. And let me tell you that today's guest has kept me company through monsoons, 30 degree heat, you name it, in the last few weeks. I have listened to every single episode. And not only have I listened to them, I've digested them. I've tried to implement some of them as well, including my university voice, which I'm currently projecting. And also I've shared these with lots of colleagues uh, at our school and other places as well. So I'm delighted to be joined by the legend that is Barry Smith tonight. Barry, welcome to Nailers Natter. Thank you very much, sir. You know, I've never heard anybody reference me. I tell you what, I'll use Barry. It'll be good for my blood pressure. I've never <laughs> heard anybody say that before. So that's a new one. Well, this is it. There's a first for everything. And I'm pleased to report it's coming down. Whether, that, whether that's correlation or causation, I'm not <laughs> sure. But it is, it is coming down. And unusual listeners tonight, we're not going to be talking about a book yet. Although I do feel that Barry will have a book uh, in the pipeline. I've heard him mention this a couple of times. Yeah, I keep saying this. I keep promising this book. And I start typing, right? And then I get into my rhythm and I go, I can't publish this. It's incendiary. Once I publish this, I'll never work again. <laughs> so when the work dries up, then I write my book. Right? <laughs> and look, whoa. So there you go. So that's the you, promise. When the work well, dries up. Well, you could just do what I did, Barry, and write one and no one buys it and then no one notices anyway. So it's well, there's always that as well. There's always <laughs> that. <laughs> Right. So listeners, we're going to get into something slightly different because normally, obviously, as you know, regular listeners, we talk about a book, uh, as Barry's there alluded to, that he's got one in the pipeline, but not there just yet. So we're just going to talk about some scenarios that have come out of Shameless Plug Number One, my latest uh, sort of writings and my interviews that I've had over the summer. So as you will know, I've done about 30 to 35 interviews with school leaders across lots of what I'm euphemistically calling harder schools over the summer. And we've come up with some scenarios through there to include in the book. But also, on the off-the-record conversations, there's been a few scenarios that have been floated around. Now, I'm not going to name any names, and I'm not going to share any details because that wouldn't be uh, courteous or professional. But I've been able to sort of coalesce and bring together some scenarios that I thought would be good to discuss with Barry. Because if you listen to Barry's podcast, and I recommend that you do, you know that Barry does a lot of work on the role of the head teacher. There's a lot of role on vision, values, and the head's role in that. But for those of us that, you know, maybe are working within leadership teams or middle leaders, we definitely have a role to play in designing and potentially implementing uh, these visions as well. So I thought we'd get into a few scenarios, Barry, if that's okay with you this evening. Go for it, sir. Excellent. Right. So scenario one, um, lots of your podcasts, obviously, as I said, focus on the head teacher and their role in defining, setting and leading. Are you culture. saying I repeat myself a lot? <laughs> no, listen, like, like I said, I, honestly, I have been walking around. So I've been doing university voice. I have been walking around. I've been doing all of the things that we've been talking you about. You said you were running before. Well, no, I'm talking about when I get to school now. Okay, okay. I've been, I've been channeling. <laughs> In fact, if, if this was a video podcast, I'm even wearing Barry's glasses as well. I mean, it's, it's, it's it just... Is, 
Honestly, I thought I was looking in a mirror. Shiny <laughs> head, big glasses. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. But my French is only up to A-level, Barry. It's not as good as yours, I'm afraid. Tell you, A-level in your day, it'll be a PhD now. Great inflation. <laughs> right, so scenario one. So we're going to look at uh, unpicking the role of deputy heads, first of all. So we've got a deputy head is working in a school where maybe the head, for whatever reason, whether they're new, whether they're struggling to implement and define that vision, they're feeling overwhelmed, which, again, plug for Barry's podcast, has been a theme uh, on a few episodes of his. And this, the, kind of the staff know that, the students know that. It's difficult for the assist for the deputy head to try and implement their vision or to help with the head implementing theirs. So what advice, Barry, would you be able to give? Because uh, I'm not suggesting that this particular person or persons was looking at leaving, as that's not always easy. But how can they stay within the school and affect some change there? Right, so deputy head, first of all, as the deputy head, you don't necessarily know the full story. I meet head teachers frequently that don't have as much authority or power as you might think they have. And they're, on a, and they're under a lot of pressure from above, from the trust. And ultimately, everybody's trying to keep their job. So the head teacher may be making decisions that aren't the best decisions because he's looking at the trust and he's thinking, I need to keep my job. And these are the decisions that might help me keep my job. I've got a mortgage. I've got a family. Right? So there are all of those factors that you don't necessarily know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, what is the politics in the trust? How safe does the head feel? If the head doesn't feel safe in his job, what kind of relationship do you have with the head? What kind of person is he? Is he the kind of person that uh, would throw you under the bus if you try to challenge him? What's the rest of the SLT like? Are they any good? Um, similarly, they're all trying to protect their jobs. You know, we've, we've chosen to be part of a big organisation and it's got layer upon layer upon layer of management and you have to assimilate, really. Um, I mean, that's not a jolly, inspiring answer. It's just, you know, I sometimes think we're sold a myth. We're sold this myth that your career is, your, is the answer to everything. The truth is, you know, your career will have ups and downs, but it's just part of your life. And sometimes... You just have to learn to survive when you're in a school that's really badly run, and a lot of them are. Um, you're there, you're the deputy head, you don't want to move, you, you make trade-offs, you think, okay, um, do I really need to stay in this area geographically? How far am I willing to travel? Do I want to stay here for a couple of years to polish my CV? Okay, what can I do to polish my CV in the next two or three years um, for my next move? Because the chances are, if the head... And again, if you join a school as a deputy head and the school's in a mess and the head's been there a couple of years, then the chances are the head's not going to turn it around. So if you're in a school, you're not very happy. The school's not going anywhere fast. You probably don't know the full story, but you know maybe you know a large part of the story. And you think, well, if this head is going to be in place and this head isn't going to uh, move things on, I'll do what I can. I'll polish my CV as much as possible, try and get some things under my belt, that will impress other trusts when I go for other jobs. But, you know, you may find that the grass isn't any greener. You may find you're moving from one badly run school to another badly run school. Just that's how the sector is, really. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I could be a bit more cheerful. No, well, you can't and you have. But then in terms of you talk a lot about how you as head 
and you go in or you train heads to go in and model and lead and you know create that culture and that vision for what kind of things you want and I, I was really inspired by that because I thought right I can imagine that happening so though these deputy heads that I've spoken to might perhaps find it difficult then to go and the head lead. doesn't want to change the school the, the school will not change right it's all down to the head if the head doesn't want it it's not going to happen you know when I work with I, I work you know I know lots of frustrated deputy heads, right? Um, but the schools I work with where we were talking about somebody earlier that you know and I know. Mm-hmm. Now he's a head. He doesn't rest on his laurels. He he thought he had a pretty good school. Then I went and went, there's a lot we can change here. And instead of being defensive, <laughs> he couldn't sleep at night. His mind was racing. You know, we were sending each other texts three o'clock in the morning because he was very excited about what he was doing in his school and its potential. And then when I visited the school, I don't know, I visited a year, 80 months afterwards, I could see a real difference. And they're the heads that are best to work with, heads that go, you know, I I am fallible and I'm not going to be defensive. And even if I think I've done something pretty good, there's a lot of room for improvement. So you've got to find those open-minded heads. But you know, a lot of people are incredibly, incredibly defensive. And I understand it, but if you're going to have me in, you've got to have me in with an open mind. Otherwise, you're just throwing money at me and you're not going to listen to my advice. If you listen to my advice, you could do some amazing things. But, you know, I can only give advice. I can only whisper in your ear. I can't make you do anything. And I suppose part of the deputy's role is to whisper in the ear of the head and say, I've discovered this wonderful podcast with Barry Smith about this. What do you think about this? Is this something that maybe we could bring in to the school here? You know, I would you be interested? A, I think it's an interesting way to do it. I think, that, you start, oh, what do I always say at the end of my podcast? Oh, if you want, you know, contact me, DM me, phone call, listen to the podcast, cost nothing. And the podcast costs nothing. Listen to them. And I, what I try to do with the podcast is I try and make them incredibly practical. So you're hearing the script over and over again. So when I'm walking around your school, <laughs> you know, SLT that I work with, I look at me, that's, that's just what you say. And that's just what I say. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't make it up. That's what I do. And it works because I'm on autopilot. And if you can be on autopilot, school becomes really, really simple. Autopilot, building a script. It's a very, very sensible script. You can't just talk rubbish on autopilot. You've got to say something worth saying on autopilot. Because school improvement isn't complicated, but you've got to focus on the right things. And, and just two of those things for listeners, it will be immediately going to get Barry's podcast. The two things that definitely work. So I'm extremely polite to you. You're extremely polite to me. Tried, tested, and effective. And the second one, Barry, you'll love this one. Wet break last week. Mm-hmm. 60, 70, 80, and then more students in classrooms because obviously, sorry, in a hall, sorry, breaching health and safety there. And I thought, <laughs> right, well, we need some reason to be able to chat. And, and I, you know, I, reason, I think I'm reasonably good at talking to children, but then obviously everyone who's not good at talking to children thinks they're reasonably good at talking to children. So I thought, I'm going to try this Capital Cities thing that you try. Oh. Goodness me. I Gift. have now got three students that are finding me on the corridor to come down and tell me what the capital of Canada is or Australia is, or wherever it might be. It is an absolutely genius Okay, I'm going to test it. What is the capital of Canada? <laughs> I knew you'd test me on this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to go a little into getting wrong answers on the podcast. I can always edit this, can't I? I'll tell you that the, the capital of Australia is Canberra. There you go. That, that's the one I've got. <laughs> and is, that, is that all you've come up with, Canberra? 
I think we did. I think we did England. And I think oh, we got Le Bateau. Oh, come on. Tell you, it was interesting. I've done that in so many schools. And when I was in Hackney, because loads of the kids, their families came from all parts of Africa and all parts of the West Indies. So I did loads of African and lots of West Indies islands capitals. Well, of course, the kids already knew a lot of them. So God, mm. they got such a buzz from that. That was, and I learned lots of capitals as well. But that was, oh, and oh, I wish I could... And I'm trying to think of the name of the gentleman, the teacher that I worked with. God, I should remember his name. But there was a, a maths teacher there who was always on toilet duty and he was always doing the capitals. And he was brilliant at the capitals. And it gave him so much kudos with the kids as well. And they, and they absolutely love it. They really do love it. And uh, like I said, I brushed up. I've learned at least one capital. So that's a good start. We've only had one, <laughs> we've only had one wet break so far. So there's this time. But also, this time. you know, you talk about I'm very polite to you, you're very polite to me. That is amazing because... Kids are really good at pushing our buttons and manipulating us, okay? They've learned to do it from a very young age. My earliest memory, as I always tell people, is me manipulating my mother because I didn't want to go to nursery. Um, and I'm still in bloody school now. Um, but when they're trying to manipulate you and when you your stop response to give you time to think and keep you lovely and calm is, I'm very polite to you. You're very polite to me. I never ignore you. You never ignore me. That is so powerful because... It means that it stops you saying anything or doing anything knee-jerk, which they will use against you. And we can't have that. You've got to protect yourself. Right. Brilliant, Barry. So get, let's get into scenario number two, if we can. So we're kind of flipping this one a little bit. And um, this, this, was, this was definitely one from the conversations in the summer. So you've been promoted. You're a new deputy head in a well-established school. So it's probably one of these badged uh, Ofsted good slash outstanding schools. Probably more likely to be outstanding. It's probably oh, got some teachers that have been there. anything Ofsted says. Come on. Well, uh, yes, for, for legal reasons and to remain in a job, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> um, yes, probably good. Anyway. To go on, uh, the staff room has got, you know, grooves in the chairs where people have sat for 20 plus years and they've never moved. They've been there, you know, generation after generation of the same family have taught there, et cetera, et cetera, another kind of school. But you've got a new deputy head coming in who thinks, well, like you said there, well, the children are coming in and they're not terribly polite. They don't really engage with us. They're not really maybe working as hard as perhaps they could. There's definitely potential here to change the culture and push the school on a little bit further. But it's very difficult when we've always done it this way or, you know, we've always got good results by, you know, conducting ourselves like this. So how would you go about changing that vision? Sorry, or imposing your vision and changing that culture in the school? And Or do you just carry on and pay the mortgage and look after the kids and get the your CV and carry on? That's not the deputy head's job to change the vision for the school. Mm. What, what's the head doing? The head needs to be there. He needs to be leading that vision. Now, you're the deputy head and you say, listen, could we do this? And I'm thinking about this. And if you and the head are aligned and the head's open-minded and you work at it together, great. But you're the, I mean, really? See, I'll tell you what I don't understand. We're going to come to one of your scenarios later on. And it's something like an assistant head in charge of teaching and learning. I don't understand. What's all this? Somebody <laughs> else is in charge of teaching and learning. Right, Somebody good. I love this. in charge of behavior. This. Doesn't make any sense. The head's in charge of behavior. Their head's in charge of teaching and learning. Their head says, this is what we want. This is what I want the school to look like. Because I'm getting paid huge salary for this, right? My name's above the door. This is what I want my school to look like. You've got your team around you. Look, this is how you're going to help me achieve this. I need you to do the donkey work. I need you to do the leg work. You don't have the skills or the knowledge or the experience to do it now. That's fine. Because that's why I was employed. Because I'm really good. And I'm going to show you how to work this. 
you're going to get amazing training from me in your time with me. And then you can go off and do whatever else you want with your career. But the head leads it and the head guides and trains and leads and, and models for the SLT. So when the deputy's off and he's doing the, the, the groundwork and the donkey work for the, for the improve the school, the, he, the deputy head's greatest cheerleader is the, de, is the head himself. And the head's telling, telling, he's selling the mission, he's selling the vision to the staff and to the kids and to the parents. And he's going, right, this is what we're going to do and this is why we're going to do it. Now, Mr. Naylor is going to be doing da 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 but it's Mr. Naylor's doing it in my name because I'm the head. Get my point? The head is there. The head should be the ideas man or ideas woman because somebody else say I'm a misogynist because that idea is mine. Um, the head is there to be leading and creating the vision. That's not stymie other people, but other people will come and say, sir, I was, oh, sir, because I call people service all the time, don't I? Said, <laughs> so to go to the head and say, well, I've thought about this and I've thought about that. And if the head thinks they're good ideas, okay, we'll work on it together. And the head should have the nose to go, right, okay, I see what you say, Mr. Naylor, but the problem with that is this. So how we can make it work is this, because I like the idea and I'm going to help you refine it. So they should be working as a team, but it shouldn't be the deputy head having to having to sell the ideas to staff. It's the head that should be selling the ideas to staff. And the head should be the biggest cheerleader. And the head should be able to go into classrooms and go into corridors and go into the yard and go wherever it is in school and model these ideas. Because if we're asking staff to do stuff that we as an SLT can't do, we don't deserve our salary, quite frankly. Right? And I say it all the time. People ask staff to do stuff. You know, they, they present a, a PowerPoint in September. Jeez, like a PowerPoint's <laughs> going to save the world. And uh, But nobody actually trains staff in the minutiae of how to improve teaching, improve behavior, improve relationships, turn a culture around. A PowerPoint has never, ever saved a school. You've got to show people, you the, 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 you know, the teachers, the most willing and most open-minded teachers in the world, unless they're giving really, really training, the minutiae of what you want and need, they're not going to be able to do it. And by the SLT being the cheerleaders, going out and modelling and doing it, the SLT will go, tell you what, I thought that was a good idea, but we got that wrong, didn't we? Because we can't do it, and if we can't do it on our reduced timetable, you're probably not going to be able to do it either. And then you have to tweak and go back to the um, drawing board and rethink your ideas. But it annoys me when big ideas come from the top. Often ill-thought-out ideas that, oh, well, I saw that on Twitter, it's very fashionable at the moment. And then you launch it on a staff without training your staff. The staff need to be trained. There you go. That's one of my, one of my runs for this evening. No, but this is a good rant because I've got I've picked up a few things on there. I kind of do a very small side issue, Barry, on something that is a little thing from your podcast, but I loved, and you said it in there. Morning, sir. Morning, miss. How are you? The answer is good, thanks. Nice, strong voice. And off you go. What a difference that makes. And it's the same for the students, isn't it, as well? You know, morning, Johnny. Morning, whoever it is. How are you? Good, thanks. Off we go. Massive, massive difference in morale, in how people walk on corridors. You can see people's shoulders go back when they're acknowledged by somebody who's walking in the corridor, usually with a high-vis and a radio, and just saying good morning. It can make a massive difference. So that's I don't like high-vis, and I don't like radios. <laughs> 
But and, and, and you work with that person that we said before, who's the king of high vis and radios. I think he's introduced it to the whole town. Oh, do, do, look, we don't work. We'll cut that part. We, we don't, don't work the bins, right? <laughs> <laughs> I went to university so I didn't have to wear high vis. Okay. <laughs> um, but it's really important that we meet and greet people in corridors. Of course it is. You know, I was, again, the school I was in earlier this week, came across it was a, an art teacher uh, lady. And, you know, she just. She was just sunshine. <laughs> and because she was so sunshine and lovely and bright and cheery, it just lifts your spirits. Mm-hmm. And then there are some people you walk past in the corridor and, oh, God, they're such a drain. Yeah. <laughs> how are you? Oh, how are you? Are you well? Oh, I'll be glad when it's Friday. Or I'm glad it's Friday. How many SLT have I seen walk around with mugs? Not that you're allowed to walk around with mugs anymore. Oh, no. Mm-hmm. But I've seen SLT with mugs. Every day's a Monday. What the hell? <laughs> Get yourself another job. Stop being such a drain on everybody's energy. If you're SLT, you can't afford to walk around whining, right? It's like a lot of people you see on Twitter annoy me when they go, oh, you know, and I've got uh, imposter syndrome and, and oh, it's such a hard job. Well, don't tell everybody. If you're struggling, talk to somebody who can help you. But don't say that in front of your staff because they're hoping that you're going to be, you're there to lead them into battle. You're there to help them. Of course, you're going to have ups and downs. Of course, you're going to, you're human. But you don't have to wear your heart on your sleeve. You are there to lead them and inspire them. And uh, just for balance here, Barry, uh, one of my assistant heads who works very closely with me will be listening to this and she'll be saying, you know, I think I might need to work on my uh, positivity. It's pretty good with the kids. It's pretty good in the classroom, but perhaps I might need to work on it while walking around dressed like I'm doing the bins. So, yes, noted (laughs) noted on that one. And the other one I was going to say is I love what you've done. So, again, you've directly influenced us with supply teachers or, as you call them, visitors to school. So, as a direct result of what you've done, we have begun – a morning meeting for all the visitors in school, and there are a few of them currently because it's, uh, you know, illness season, isn't it, currently? And just then gone through, right, what does a lesson look like? How can we support you in this lesson? What's our norms? What's our routines? And how do we do things around here? And the difference has been unbelievable. I'm not suggesting that it's now perfection, but because they've got parameters to work within, they understand what we're going to do, and we've spoken to them. And I've also modelled and channeled what you said about getting in front of the students, talking about it as well, and modelling it, in front of supply, uh, sorry, visiting teachers, what a difference. Really good. If you keep using the same supply, do a little podcast, do a little recording for them. So they can go home, they can listen to it when they come back again. Yeah, they'll be there. They'll be with you. I mean, when um, when I was a charter, we, I mean, they had a huge supply issues before I got there. Massive. Well, they couldn't get supply. People wouldn't come. But anyway, they, they managed to get some. And when they, because they need a lot of supply, because a lot of people were staying off. But then but that was before I started and we turned it round. And supply teachers, when they had days off and they didn't have work, they would actually come to charter and sit unpaid to sit in lessons to learn. And that was, I mean, that was just such a such an amazing moment because mm-hmm. they really, really loved coming to the school. And that's a mark of a school going somewhere when supply teachers are like, not just, oh, it's a little, not so bad as the other schools. It's, oh, this is an actual pleasure. I will come here to learn stuff, to curry favour as well, because they want to work more. But they came to the school just because they enjoyed the experience of being in those rooms and learning from the teachers who had the house style off pat, because house style is so important. 
No, it's brilliant. And I've changed scenario four now, Barry, on the basis of what you just said there. So if we're talking about the head, now I've always advocated for the head teaching. I've written about it, but I'm, I may be changing my mind a little bit, only in the sense that I'm thinking teaching, yeah, in the classroom, yes, modeling expectations, perhaps covering some lessons, good. But if you're just teaching your own class in your own classroom, and I do, by the way, but obviously I'm not head, I do teach two GCSE classes. Um, never talk about it, listener. As What's you know. your subject? Science. Science. So I'm very in demand currently, Barry, as you can imagine, as your good self will be as well in terms of the, the, the languages. And I am keeping the French air level just in the back pocket in case, you know, um, people I really... I recommend some good podcasts and stuff for you to work on your French. So, so... Definitely, um, actually, send me an email. I'll send you some resources because the way I teach French, obviously, is very different and it's very, very, very effective. So I've, I do teach quite a lot, but I'm thinking I was advocating for the head teaching, but I'm wondering whether that's, is it better to get in front of staff and deliver the messages, the key messages, get into classrooms and again, you know, explain expectations or model things. What, what's your view on head teaching? Increasingly, I think don't. Yeah, because you're going to be running around like uh, a proverbial blue-arsed insect. I was trying not to swear, but I still said off. Sorry. No, it's fine. I've had, I've had Mark McCourt on, and he broke the number of swear words that anyone's allowed. Oh, on any good podcast. man. I'll listen to that then. I like, I like his tweets. Um, yeah. I, I think be out, be, again, I think I think having supply teachers in and having cover lessons is a fantastic opportunity. You go into that lesson, you're not losing much. Listen, Jen, three, you want track me, please. And you explain again. You give a reboot to the kids. Get into lessons lots, as opposed to teaching your own lessons. Get into lessons lots, model lots. Miss, can I just borrow them? I just want to. I just want to try something. And again, you're modelling what you want the house style to be and how teachers apply the house style. And I'm going to say you need a house style. Because if I give you a really tight house style, you remove the ambiguity, and it means that. All you have to think about is, how can I be a really good science teacher? I just have to worry about the science or the French or the English or the history. I don't have to worry about the other stuff because it's the job of the head to give you this overarching house style. That's not to say, I want you to be a robot, quite the reverse. I want you to be a really, really good science teacher because that's why you were employed for your subject expertise. I don't want you having to struggle to work out the logistics of dealing with five classes a day, 30 kids in each class, where the behaviour and the culture are all dreadful, that's my job to fix that. So you can just be a really, really effective science teacher. Brilliant. Right. Um, I've got some off-the-cuff questions for you now, Barry, if that's okay. But I know I'm going to keep... Yeah, it. That, you know that scenario idea? It was a great idea, but we were rubbish at it. <laughs> it's all my fault. No, you, just answer, you just answered them so well that we moved on so quick. And also, I know that you're very strict on your time limits. I know that we don't want to go on for too long because you like to keep it to 19 minutes and then talk for three more minutes and get to 22, don't you, Barry? So we'll just we'll keep it what? short. Did I say that? No, it's good. It's good. 22 minutes is perfect time, and it makes my 5K go as quick as possible. It's perfect. Keep it. The one I, I did today, I think, is about 42 minutes. I was oh, is on it? I'll have to go for a long run. You're going to go for a long run. <laughs> or you right. could just walk. <laughs> yeah, I might need to. Um, curriculum. Do we, do we spend too much time worrying about intent uh, with curriculum statements and lovely, wonderful diagrams uh, and not enough time worrying about actual implementation via teaching and learning. Well, nobody seemed to care anything about it until Ofsted mentioned it. And certainly everybody cared about it. Um, and I'm sure in a few years' time, we'll all be saying something else is the most important thing in the world. 
we're obsessed with Ofsted. Again, it's about job security. Um, I think teaching well is the key. Um, it's how we get them in, how we get them out, how we, we know what the high-frequency errors are. We run towards the high-frequency errors. We unpick the roots of the high-frequency errors. Um, we know the exam spec very well because that's what I'm selling you. Listen, kids, you work with me. We're going to kick some examiner butt, right? I know. No, I, examiners, they're just teachers doing it for the money. I'm, I'm going to show you how to make it really easy to, for the examiner to give you marks. We're salesmen. We're salesmen. And that's what we need to do. Now, people will often see me do what I do. And they'll, I think it'd be a bit intimidating because I've been doing it a long time. I'm very good at it. I'm very slick. And it's like, oh, I can't be like him. But I don't want you to be me. I want you to be a bigger version of you. And we can all be a bigger version of ourselves. And that's what I want teachers to get. I was working with a history teacher the other day, confident, he had a good voice. And I, I did a bit of history teaching there because I did a bit of revision on, uh, on Boudicca. Uh, ask me anything, ask me anything. Uh, and, um, and then I modelled it and I taught it with a you know, low-hanging fruit, year seven class. And then he taught afterwards and he said, wow, it made such a difference because he copied some of the things that I did and some of the resources that we developed and so on. It made a huge difference. I got a voice message there from another history teacher who's doing a lot of the stuff that I do. And he's like, my God, it's just, you know, I'm working a chaotic school. But what a difference. And even though the school as a whole is pretty awful, he's really enjoying his lessons and the kids are because they're learning lots. Again, shamelessly didactic. Being the sage on the stage, knowing what the problems are, running straight towards them, not overpraising, giving genuine praise. And then, you know, when I was handing out um, star pupil or whatever they called in the school I was in earlier this week, because I was quite picky with kids, that answer's not, that's not good enough, I'm going to come back to you. And then the person that got the star pupil, she was absolutely, she was 10 foot tall. And there was a teacher waiting outside the classroom and it had been kind of half watching what I was doing from the corridor, which seemed a bit strange, but he was. And then as all the kids came out, he said, wow, they were all really positive. They were all really smiley. Well, of course they were, because they just had a really good lesson where they left remembering lots. So they felt really accomplished because I tell them, I don't ask them. I don't ask them, what do you think? I tell them because I'm a subject expert. So I give them my expertise and I teach it in such a way that they remember stuff and then they feel really clever. And that's what we need to do more of. And we, oh, you tell me what I say a lot of these days and I've never, ever seen it work. Turn and talk to your partner. I've never seen it work, but very, very fashionable. And these are the things that irritate me. When people go, oh, this is this is popular on Twitter, I'll do this. Well, well, go on then. Before you launch it to your entire staff, you have a go. And you perfect it and you become really good at it. And let's see, is it feasible for other teachers to do? Because even if you can be really good at something, does it mean every teacher can be good at it? Does it mean that every... Is it a strategy that is sufficiently applicable across a broad range of teacher ability? We've got to think more about the teachers. And what, we can't keep piling things on to teachers. Do this, it's fashionable. Unless we have trialled it and unless we're going to remove other stuff that isn't working. Probably the stuff that you told them was going to save them last year, which didn't work. Be more 
think more about what teachers have to do when they've got their full timetable and they're in their classrooms with children that aren't very pleasant sometimes. This is great stuff, Barry. Right, a couple more things. Listen, I would be a hypocrite if I said if I was sort of nodding along and going, I've never succumbed to any fashionable uh, edu Twitter thing. Listen, you've got a big bald head and big glasses. That's fashion <laughs> in my book. <laughs> because I've done 180 podcasts with everybody and anybody you can possibly imagine. You know, <laughs> I've listened to some and thought, oh. <laughs> well, exactly, exactly. But I'm going to listen to because I like him. Oh, Marx is excellent. One of the early ones, but it's very good. But I have succumbed to, you know, quite a few uh, fashionable things, although they've never really stuck in the classroom because I'm one of those extremely old-fashioned teachers. I don't even use PowerPoint, Barry. I know it's a crime, isn't it? I don't, I, I don't use, I, I use, I use a book. I use a book. That is music that. to my ears, sir. Well, I've never used a PowerPoint once in my life. It might not go down very well, but I use a, this is even going to be worse. I'm going to have to cut this part. I use a book that I write in that looks like the books that the students are going to have. And I, and I cut bits out of exam specs and then go through it. And I cut exam questions out and stick them in a book. And we talk through them. And do you use that on a visualizer? I do, yeah. Now, yeah. I see, there's a science teacher I work with in Hackney who used to do that. She, and God, it was, it was so efficient. It was, she had very neat writing. She thought very carefully. She was very organized. She then thought, she was head of department, and then she'd photocopy that for her whole department. God, it was efficient. It was so good. And it, tell you what, it wasn't, this is what I always say about PowerPoint. PowerPoints were never designed for words. They were designed for pretty pictures. And people like pretty pictures, and you get observed by your SLT, and they go, oh, that's a pretty slide, that's a pretty slide. Oh, and you get praise for pretty things. No, I want substance over appearance. Now, her notes in that exercise book that she used on the visualizer, they were so clear. They were so good. And she shared them with the department. Now, Adam, science doesn't come easily to me. But I would understand stuff so well from her explanations with that book. So I say, yes, brilliant. And the other thing is, and again, succumbing to fashion and fad and everything like that. So we've had we've had retrieval practice, which I'm not saying that these are all fads, but I'm saying there's a lot of talk about them. But, and it, talk- it's, it's, but it's also it's how it's applied. It's like assessment for learning. Let's all get our lollipop sticks. Let's all get traffic lights. All that nonsense. Let's, I mean, it becomes a checklist of fashions. No, and then somebody comes to observe you and goes, oh, well, you didn't do that and you didn't do that. And as I always say, what if, what is fashionable in one trust and thought of as you know sacred? You go to another trust and they laugh at it. Oh, we don't do that here because we're much much more cutting it. Stop and think and be critical of fashions that come along, because teaching isn't complicated. You're an adult talking to children, and if the children aren't fighting you, actually it's very straightforward. But when you're in a culture where the children are fighting you, it's complicated. When you're in a culture where your SLT are desperate for you to apply fads because they're hoping that an inspector will like the fads, it's complicated. We've got to simplify these things because somebody is teaching 150 kids a day. Simplify. Make life more manageable for teachers. Show them how to communicate effectively. Get them to record their own voices. Get them to, you know, I always ask teachers, you should record your own voice because, you know, I speak too quickly. You'll notice a regional accent. I can't imagine what that's like, but you'll notice, you'll notice the vocal tics. You'll notice where you're better, where you're not so good and how you can make your presentation better. 
And teachers will go, oh, oh, I don't like record. I don't like the sound of my own voice. But somebody's got to listen to your voice all day. <laughs> yeah. So record your voice. Yeah. Get teachers, make teachers' life simpler, not more complicated. Stop with the fads. How would you teach without electricity? If you can't do it without electricity, there's a problem. Well, that's that's interesting you said that because, um, and I'm not breaking any secrets here. My head teacher said today that that actually happened um, at her previous school, and it was the best day uh, pedagogically that they'd had because it was right. Well, you're going to have to get a whiteboard pen out, and you're going to have to, you know, deliver your subject. You're going to have to understand what you're going to do. There is no choice. Electricity. I see so many awful PowerPoint slides, really awful slides, and often mandated by the trust with huge logos and all sorts of extraneous nonsense on. But again, it'll be stuff that they think, well, if an inspector saw that slidey, you know, they'll have stuff about Gatsby at the bottom and they'll have all sorts of stuff. And I'm thinking, what? What? <laughs> the, one, the one sentence in the Ofsted report. Yes, you compliant mm. with that. Anyway, right. The one that I was going to come around to, which nobody has ever had a fad about, and I've done it previously only because of COVID, Barry, but I have nothing like the way you've done it. Ends of lessons. I love what you've done with ends of lessons. Suddenly, there are three minutes at the end of my lesson that suddenly miles more productive and not only that you know when you're changing classrooms and you're moving places suddenly i'm on the corridor i'm ready to go and there's not loads of kids standing around at the end of lessons so just tell us a little bit and and, and you might like the title that, that i called in the pandemic because obviously you're of a certain vintage like me we called it stand and deliver to be sung in the word in the sort of adamant live. <laughs> exactly so tell us about ends of lessons and why that's kind of an untapped uh, three or four minutes People get them wrong all the time. They also get lesson starts wrong. I'm not a fan of doing those. I'm speaking at a conference with Doug Lamoff on Saturday. He dropped in casually. But I'm not a fan of doing those. I'm really not a fan of doing those. They're doing really badly. But if you want the start of your next lesson to work well, you finish your lesson on time. Now, I'm going to, I say to people, look, give five, seven minutes. And everyone, you know, oh, I can't give five, seven minutes. That's the end. I've wasted all that lesson time. It isn't lesson time wasted. So you'll get slicker and slicker. But... You pack away your books and you show them how to pack away your books and the whole school packs away their books in the same way and it's really super efficient, nice and easy. And then you do lots of Q&A, just oral Q&A. And again, I see so many teachers without a PowerPoint slide, they can't ask questions. We've got to try, we've de-skilled people with PowerPoints. But, but you know, like when I do slant and steps and shape in a school, Oh, well, I've got to have a slide. You don't need a slide to say that to a kid. So you end your lesson, you pack your books away. It's a few minutes before the end. You don't need a PowerPoint slide. You ask them questions and you get them to reply in lovely full answers. Oh, 10% louder. That wasn't 10%. That was only 7%. 10% louder. Ah, that was only 8.9%. I want more. You're talking to them. You're, you're, you're building on the stuff you've done. That lesson, maybe other lessons. You call it retrieval practice if you like. I used to just call it, what was that word again? Teaching, yeah. Um, it doesn't need a snazzy title. You're talking to kids, you're ending the lesson on a positive level, on a positive note. Um, they're like, right, ladies and gents, the people who got the merits today were, boom, 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 boom. The person who got the gold today who really shone was, uh, it was, it was tight, it was tight, but I'm going to give that golden ticket to Phil. The reason I want to give the Phil is because I really like his haircut, his big glasses. No, it's because <laughs> I really like the way he did this. So, ladies and gents, in future, if you want to get golden tickets, you know what to do. Now, when you take that golden ticket home, which is a little piece of cord, make sure your mum and dad know that it's very, very hard to get golden tickets from me because I'm mean and nasty. Just Google me. And I want the, note, the lesson to end on a positive note. The bell's about to go. Ladies and gents, at my signal, 
we're going to stand, we're going to pack everything away. As you're packing away, now, I can time it, 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. I just do a lot of chanting. It could be poetry, it could be times tables, it could be anything you want it to be. In French, it's super easy. But uh, every second counts. Now, as they're leaving, I remind them, ladies and gents, on the corridors, right? You're going to see loads of teachers. Because I've got time for all this now. On the corridors, you're going to see loads of teachers. They're bound to say it to you. Morning, miss. Morning, sir. Because that's what we often say to them. Um, but you say it to them first, right? Because it comes across as really confident. And again, if you know the teacher's name, better still. If you see Mr. Naylor, go, morning, sir. You like it. But if you say, Mr. Hello, Mr. Naylor, how are you? You like it even more. Training kids to become at ease socially, to present with confidence. That's what we need to do. You would hope parents would do some of that, but increasingly the lines are blurred and we have to do a lot about developing kids' social skills. And if we don't do it at school, and nobody else is doing it very often, and also we will also get the backlash and the, the school culture becomes deeply unpleasant when everybody, this is where we came in with, we talked about corridors and meeting and greeting. When people have got their head down, when people aren't looking at each other, when people are pushing and shoving, when people don't greet one another, that's horrible. I don't want that. I said in the podcast I did today, I see this a lot, you know, too many kids are out of lessons, too many kids feigning illness, too many kids wanting to go to the toilet and they shouldn't be going to the toilet in lessons. But teachers let them out, and I often see kids wandering the corridors uh, when I'm visiting schools, and I'll, I'll go up with kids and say, hello, miss, how are you? And she doesn't hear it. She goes, I've got a note, I've got the toilet. I said, miss, I wasn't asking that, I was just saying, good morning, how are you? Because they're so unused to us talking to them. Again, I was talking to her teacher recently, and he said, oh, Barry, will you do a podcast on um, how can you make sure that staff are warm? Um, and that's what I'm mentioning in the, in the podcast there. I'm saying, we have to model warmth. We have to talk to them more. Don't, don't behave in a way that makes you look as if you don't like kids. Don't behave in a way that makes you look like you're scared of kids. But I think a lot of teachers are scared of kids because the culture in the school is so unhealthy. So if a head wants their staff to be warmer, their head should be warmer. Their head should be training the SLT to be warmer. We should be out there. We should be talking to the kids, modeling it. And warmer doesn't mean you're super smiley Pollyanna, the world's a wonderful place. Um, and the kids meeting you with contempt. It's, oh, hello, Phil, how are you today? You well? If you grunt at me, oh, try it again, please, Phil. I'm very polite to you. You're very polite to me. It's not how we talk to each other. Let's do it again, please, Phil. He does it again. He's not going to, oh, try it again, please, Phil. Don't let your tone of voice. Again, we seem to be afraid to correct children. We've been taught to praise them and overpraise them. You need to correct kids. You, that's not nasty. It's because you care. You need to correct your own kids. Come on. How is anybody going to learn unless you correct them and you show them and you socialise them? These are the norms and this is how we talk to one another. And on your end of lessons, I mean, even your reminders, and I've found this to be quite effective. And again, you know, people will potentially disagree. You remind um, students that it's now the time, if you need to, to go to the bathroom you have five minutes to be able to do this. And do you know what? And I know it's not a thing we should necessarily want to go into, but they might appreciate the reminder and they might actually follow that reminder and say, right, ladies and gents, as you say, it's now lunchtime, prioritize, go into the toilet, 
because that will work. And that's the way we have to do it, don't we? Yeah. If you're a teacher teaching five periods a day, you can't nip out halfway through the day because... I mean, I had a catheter fitted years ago. It's the best <laughs> thing I've ever done. But <laughs> I'm a man of a certain age. No, that was a joke, okay? But, um, <laughs> so, yeah, before break, before lunch, ladies and gents, just a reminder, got very short time at lunch. Yeah, you want to talk to your mates. Top priority, go to the toilet first, please. Similarly, if you've got the culture where you can, you should be able to raise the hand in the canteen and say, ladies and gents, Toilets will be closing in five minutes. Thank you very much. So, but again, we've got to, listen, kids are constantly saying in, t- in lessons, oh, I want to go to the toilet, I want to go to the toilet. But then they go to lunch, they spend all lunchtime talking to their mates, and suddenly they only want to go to the toilet when the bell's about to go. Yeah, because they want to get out of five minutes out of the lesson. Come on. We were all children once. We know how children try to avoid work. We can preempt. Schools are so predictable. We can preempt so much. We really can. Right, Barry. So I'm looking at the time. I want to, we always want to leave the listener wanting more. So what I'm going to ask you to do now as you do at the I end of your... I think that in 30 seconds in. <laughs> <laughs> well, and we always want to let them leave want them want to... I can't even speak now to cut that part as well. I want to, I want to leave them wanting more. So as you do at the end of can your... Can you imagine podcast, after the editing, this is going to be your shortest ever episode. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. The shortest ever episode after editing would have been Tom Bennett. Uh, I think the, the, the best bits are definitely on the cutting room floor of that one. Um, yeah. <laughs> I think I think he had his... Um, yeah, he was, he was just double checking that everything was correct before that one went out. And you'd be surprised. There's quite a lot on the cutting room floor that I'm holding back. But uh, yeah, mostly from me, Barry and Fairness. So... As you do on your podcast, just tell listeners where they can find out a little bit more about you. And if they want to work with you, how can they get in touch? What kind of things are you doing coming up? Where can they find more about you? Yeah, Google me, Daily Mail. They'll tell you all. No, 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 don't do that. Don't <laughs> do that. Um, if you go on Twitter, dead easy. It's Barry N. Smith 79. It's my house number. I have to explain this all the time. Barry N. Smith 79. Um, DM me. Listen to my podcast. I'll be on Spotify. Uh, it's Barry Smith Education. I say the same old thing over and over again. And if you just do it, it you, know, you have sold my strategies far better than me this evening, right? You went, oh, and I do this and it really works. And I do this and it really works. You've explained it really, really well. Okay. Listen, just listen to the podcast. It costs you nothing. If you want me to come along to your school, great. I don't do, tell you what I don't do. I don't do, oh, will you come and talk to my whole staff at the start of term? You know, tell them a few gags. No, because it isn't my job to sell new strategies to your staff. It's my job to work with you as the head and the team so to help you fulfill your vision, to help you clarify your vision, to help you make your vision work. I can only give you advice, but it isn't. And I don't want, you know, sometimes people will sort of, they'll want me to, to talk. Oh, will you, will, you, will you talk to the staff now? Because you've been talking, working with SLT, but, but will you talk to the staff? I don't want to talk to the staff. Well, I talk to the staff as I'm wandering around school, but I don't, I'm not there to entertain them I'll be, I'll be there, I'll be modelling, I'll be going in lessons, I'll be teaching, I'll be, I'll be greeting kids and they're coming to school in the morning, showing you how to do that. I will be, you know, this week I've been on the, you know, in the canteen, as kids queue to come in the canteen, modelling how to do that. I'll show you how to end lessons, how to start lessons. I'll be modelling and providing you resources, how to do detentions and how to do internal isolation. I'll be modelling, modelling, modelling. I will not use any jargon, I will not use any PowerPoint, but I want to be embedded in the school working with the SLT. Again, when I do what I do, I, I, I say at the SLT, look, 
record what I'm saying because you can use it afterwards. You can learn those scripts. Video what I'm doing because you can use that. You know, I'll be on a staircase. I'll walk on a staircase with a head teacher and it's chaos. And I'll stop and I'll go, watch this. And suddenly it's like parting of the waves. And I'll show them how to get the kids to walk on the left. And then they can video it and we use it. I have no magic gift, but I, what I do do, I just know what I'm doing and I know how to do it very slowly and very deliberately. And it just works. It just works. And it's simple stuff. None of it is complicated. There you go. So that's what I do. I'm embedded in schools, working with the SLT. I often do, say, two days in a school, then I come back in two weeks' time. Or three days in a school, and I come back in two weeks' time. Or four days in a school, and I come back in, in, in several weeks' time. Because I like to go in, work with the SLT, give them a chance to try it themselves, mess it up, have a go, talk to me, send me emails, do DM messages, anything you like, but keep in touch during the intervening period so you build up a relationship with the school and the SLT have had a chance to try it themselves. Then they get good at it and then they can cascade it through the school, but they have to be good at it. It's really important the SLT lead the way to have credibility. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much, Barry, for your time tonight. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, I'm looking forward to tomorrow morning's longer run. So I'm going to have to get up even earlier in the morning because I do love your views on getting in earlier to school as well. I like that. So I'll have to get up even earlier to go on the run to get the You remember minutes. what I say better than I remember what I say. <laughs> oh, listen, and, and, and you know, to, to your credit, and I'm not just saying this because you're on, you know, I've spoken to a lot of people. You know, I've spoken to everyone from Hirsch, Young, you know, Benny, uh, Dolomov, everybody. And I've, I've remembered a lot of what you said, because I think, like you said there, it just works. And, you know, I, I've, I've tried it, fledgling attempts at trying it in various different iterations over the last, and it really does make a difference. So it's been great to have you on. And I'm sure that listeners uh, will want to go and discover your podcasts and get in touch with you as well. So Barry Smith, thank you for being a guest on Nailers Natter. Really appreciate it. Absolute pleasure, sir. Nailers Natter, just talking to teachers. Nailers Natter the book. Ideas and advice from the collective wisdom of teachers. Nailers Natter brings together a wealth of advice from the most influential voices in education today. In this exciting one-of-a-kind book, Phil Naylor revisits the very best interviews from three years of education podcasting, drawing on the advice and opinions from some of the world's most innovative educators. Available now for pre-order from Amazon and out on July 7th, 2022.